Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the podcast based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guide. This is the ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to Thrive Deeper, episode 59. It's your old pal DJ here and uh, thank you so much for tuning in this week. On this week's episode, Matthew Jacoby and myself go through chapters 23, 24 and 25 of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, I know I say this every week, there's so much in these three chapters that we just get through. But we're going to kick off in 23 for what some people call the seven woes of Jesus Christ. The whoa, whoa, whoa of Jesus Christ here. Now, to give you some sort of context there, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. Let's get into it. Uh, After this short break, we're going to dive straight into this one and keep on listening. I've got some great stuff to tell you at the end of this episode and also some new information about the Deeper Places book and videos coming to you very shortly. All that on more on this week's episode. Thank you so much for downloading. We, we've sort of swapped hats for today's episode, I feel. Have we? Yeah, because usually... We're not wearing hats. Well, <laughs> usually... Uh, I, I'm full of beans, like raring to go. Let's go, uh, go, yeah. go, go, go. I'm so pooped. I'm exhausted. I am <laughs> okay. flat, and you are like skipping around the room. Yeah. This on I'll a- see. If, well, I'll see if I can keep you awake <laughs> we, with stimulating yeah, conversation you are, right here on yeah. Thrive Deeper. Yeah, <laughs> look at this. See exactly. <laughs> you've swapped. You've swapped places with me this morning. What? What's? What's? Ha- what's happening? Why are you so? Why are you in such a happy, happy mood? Mood. I don't know. I was just not, I'm always like this, aren't I? <laughs> Now you, you're in a particularly bright mood today, Matt. That's great. That's great. Oh, okay, that's uh, which is good because yeah. I I am feeling right, really I'll, flat, and I'll uh, just I'll real quickly. You. It's because I've decided to go on a super. It's actually called a VLCD, very low carbs diet. Ah, no carbs. And I am running on empty. Yeah, like I am. Okay. I'm hurting. Yeah. So my energy is like and. Y- Bring right. it, bring yeah. it. Yeah, it doesn't help that it's about 35 degrees <laughs> in, in the, the studio. <laughs> in that we are recording in the yeah. in, in a studio that yeah. is very yeah. Check hot. Check with me in 20 minutes and see how we go. All right, let's get into it. Let's What's get on, into buddy? it. We have we are in the book of Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, over the last few weeks, just to give us a bit of context, we've seen Jesus come back to Jerusalem. In chapter 21, he came in and he cleansed the temple. Uh, he cursed the barren fig tree. There's been a lot of questioning uh, going back from the authorities, the Jewish authorities, back to uh, Jesus uh, over you know 21 and 22. And now we come in over the last week in Thrive, uh, the daily reading guide, we've read 23, 24, and 25. Mm. So chapter 23, we're, we're continuing on this scene in the temple where, you know, there's been a lot of questioning coming from the Pharisees Mm. and the Sadducees and the religious leaders and the scribes coming to Jesus. And now in 23, Jesus really turns the table. Yeah, that's right. The the contest comes to a head. That could be the the wrong word. The the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day comes to a head here. And um, they have been testing him... uh, 
and now he denounces their religiosity, their hypocrisy in the, I mean, this is, <clears throat> right here we see uh, a- angry Jesus right yeah. here. This is, and we don't see this no. very often, but this is a really, uh, this is really interesting chapter because we see this side of Jesus. Uh, we s- and, and it's interesting that the angry Jesus doesn't come out in response to the sinners and the tax collectors. That's when we see the loving Jesus come yes. out. The angry Jesus comes out uh, in relation to these religious people that think that they've got it all together, that think that their job is to, you know, pass judgment on exactly. everyone else, which is why... He's so harsh with them. Yeah, so it, chapter 23 is sometimes known as the seven woes to the scribes yeah. and Pharisees or the seven woes or the woes from Christ there towards the religious leaders of, of Jerusalem. And he basically repeats the same phrase over and over again, but woe, to, again, depending on what, yeah. what translation you're reading, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, yeah. and then proceeds to weigh judgment yeah, on them. Yeah, that's right. So, and, and in summary, and, and we won't go into this in great detail because we do want to move on to yeah. uh, chapters 24 and 25, uh, which, by the way, 24, he's going to talk about the destruction of Jerusalem. Yes. Now, this is, the destruction of Jerusalem is going to be God's, Jesus portrays that as God's judgment on this city mm. uh, at the end of chapter 23. He depicts that as God's coming judgment. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he says in verse 37, you who kill yep. the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house has left you desolate. So he's de- he's predicting here the desolation yes. of Jerusalem that's going to happen in um, in 70 AD. Mm. And he says this in response to the fact that he is trying to gather them under his cause, mm. but they're so locked in this uh, hardline religiosity um, that is about ticking all the boxes and them feeling like we've got this all together. Yep. It's a strange creature, this uh, this. Pharisaic religion. It's very yeah. what we have. You heard of the word casu, casuistry? It's very casuist in. Yeah. It, that, that, it's a word that um, that denotes this idea of there being a little law for everything. Yeah. That governs every form of behaviour, mm. and there is this sense that um, they had created all of these laws that govern every part of life, so that it's so that life becomes this endless process of ticking the boxes. And and it removes it removes uh, one's you know, emotions or heart or, you know, soul out of the picture because you're sort of not making any decisions anymore. All the yeah. decisions have already been pre-made for you. Yeah. You just follow this religious list of rules and go in through this motion yeah. and make sure you do the right thing. And that leads into, but but all the way through here with, with what Christ is telling them, especially in the seven woes, they're not seeing what he wants them to see. He's not. He's saying, you know, justice and mercy. He's talking about mm. also. And the thing that convicted me, it was very convicting to me because I'm putting myself in their shoes mm. all the time. Yeah. And the one thing that you know that really gets me is when he says, you know, uh, you know, you say to yourself, you know, you you you're you're talking about the old Old Testament Bible heroes like they were your heroes. Yeah. 
you know, but even doing that is condemning you. That's right. To the fact that you're descendants of the ones that killed them. Yeah. You know, repent of it. Like, own Because they're it. about to repeat that. Yes. That very thing. Yes. They're about to repeat that. Yeah. And, he, and he knows that. And so um, th- there, uh, it's, it is amazing how hard he is to, for him to say woe to you. Yeah. Um, that's a harsh denunciation. It's it's not. He's not um, condemning them there and then to hell because there is this. He, he's still calling them to repentance. This yes. is still in the posture of warning, but it's getting really, really serious here. And um, and the woe to you refers to what is going to happen yeah. because of their refusal to repent. Essentially, and this goes right back to the beginning uh, of the gospel. John came to prepare the way to lead people to the place of repentance so that when the Messiah came, when God came, uh, the God who comes to extend grace, he would come to a people who were self-aware enough to realize that they needed grace, that they had fallen so far short that they needed God's mercy and grace. But the problem with these guys is that they were so busy ticking boxes and getting it all right, so they thought that, there was no sense of a need really for grace here. Exactly. It's the very cornerstone, the foundation of the entire gospel, the entire good news is that we can't do it. We, yeah. we, we're we lost without yeah. Christ. We are sinners. Yeah. And they just couldn't even get to that first foundational step. Yeah. There's there's this, I mean, there's a, there's a, a usage of the word religion. I, th- I mean, religion is used a number of ways. Yes. Religion can just mean spirituality and all the things to do with God, yep. and that's fine. But there is a sort of a negative sense of religion as religion, the thing that human beings create to try to make themselves acceptable to God. And there is, a, in that sense, there is a sense in which it's very true that God hates religion mm. more mm. than anything else. Yep. And because uh, one of the features of this kind of box-ticking religion is that it is really non-relational. It was interesting in a conversation with a Jewish rabbinic student actually in uh, Israel a couple of years ago. Um, I was amazed at the detail of law observance of this particular individual. Mm. You know, talked about, went overseas to a hotel Mm. on the Sabbath and would not, when they went to their room, this young Jewish couple, would not press the button to get out at their stop because it's the Sabbath, you know, and yeah. you don't, and that would you can, work. be working. So they had, they went up and down until someone actually got out at their floor that would open the door for them, wow. you know, or got in at their floor. So, and, and then, and then uh, when asked about uh, this young guy's, well, tell us about your relationship with God, the mm-hmm. answer was at quite uh, expressly, well, I don't really have a relationship with God. Uh, you know, we seek to please God in these sorts of ways, but um, having a relationship, it just was a matter of, um, just wasn't no. on the map even, no. the yeah. idea of having a relationship with Total God. Total foreign just, concept. And after, after sort of an hour of conversation around this meticulous law keeping to then get to this point of saying, well, I don't really have a relationship with God. Now, look, that could be a caricature. That's just one person. But it's it's it sounds very much like uh, yeah. what, what you have here. That... You know, that's the kind of rabbinic Judaism that Jesus is concerned about here and wanting to speak into. For all of the good, you know, the, the, yes. it's not all bad, but overall there's there's a concern here with this religiosity that just becomes a whitewash mm. 
over something serious. And that's exactly what he's talking yeah. about here. So uh, one last question as we wrap up chapter 23 here mm-hmm. and, the, and the seven woes and talking to the, the scribes and the Pharisees, is is this a final judgment on on the Jewish people of him saying, right, you guys are done, you, you're rejected, you finally have done the, you know, you've rejected, you know, you've, you've blasphemed mm. the Holy Spirit that mm. one last time and you're done. You know, is he saying that or is he... No, talk- no, he's not because because there was not a more zealous Pharisee. Now, let's talk about... He's talking about the scribes and Pharisees. Mm. There was not a more zealous Pharisee than Saul of Tarsus. Mm. Mm. Okay, and so th- th- there is always still this chance to repent. Mm. And no one needed to repent more than Saul of Tarsus. <laughs> you know, who is... You know, he's the guy with the millstone round his neck. You know, mm. if anyone causes one of these little ones of mine to stumble, yeah. this is, you know, as I've said before, he was the one with the millstone round his neck, yet he has this opportunity to, to turn around. This is a warning. Yeah. This is a warning for, uh, for these religious people um, to uh, become self-aware enough to realise that they need grace as much as everyone else. family, DJ here, and I'm interrupting this week's episode to talk to you about Matthew Jacoby. Yeah, he's not going to talk about himself, so I have to get in there and tell you about him. Now, we all know that Matt writes the Thrive Daily Reading Guide. Did you also know that he's a working teaching pastor at One Hope Baptist Church here in Geelong? He also teaches and lectures at the Melbourne School of Theology, And when he's got any spare time, where does he find that? He's also the leader of the Psalmist group, Sons of Korah, traveling the world. Now, in all of those roles and for the past 20 years, Matt has been studying the Psalms. He has sung them, he's taught them, he's lived them for as long as he can remember. And as such, we think he's a pretty worthy guide for those seeking a more authentic, biblical and real faith. In his book, Deeper Places, Matt Jacoby shares a rich portrait of authentic spirituality that will help us dive deep beneath the surface and experience the kind of profound joy that the psalmist sang about. Now, he's giving us an in-depth look at the psalms as a pathway to an intimate and satisfying relationship with God. In the recently published revised edition, Matt has added a whole chapter on anger. It's called anger management. Now, also accompanying this, and this is what I've been busy doing behind the scenes, is editing a video series for your small group or for your own personal study that goes with it. All of that can be found at thrivetoday.net.au. You can visit that. That's our home on the internet and look for deeper places. You'll be able to get more information about that and purchase the brand new revised edition. All right, that's enough from me. Let's get back into the episode of Thrive Deeper. Thrive Deeper, episode 59. We have just wrapped up in a very brief, brief fashion, uh, chapter 23 of the Gospel of Matthew. 
Let's move into 24 and 25. And this is often called the Olivet Discourse. Uh, you know, these two chapters here in the book of Matthew. This is where Jesus answers a bunch of questions about the end of the age, signs of his coming. There's a few parables in there. Um, and it climaxes in the incredible dramatic mm. telling of the sheep and the goats, these two chapters yep. here. It follows right on from what we just were talking about. Exactly. So there's this context with the Pharisees, and, and it says here Jesus left the temple, was walking away when his disciples came to him to call attention to its buildings. Isn't this wonderful? And yeah. and and you see the stone I mean the stones are even from what we can see today in the, the base of the temple. It's incredible. Yeah. It's a, it's a one of the greatest engineering feats of the ancient world. They think it's great. He says, I tell you, not one stone is going to be left on that. See, he's still in this mode. Yeah. He's declared He's declared this warning, this judgment warning uh, on the on the sort of religious powers that be yes. around the temple. And so he's not impressed at the He's not in the state of being impressed at the buildings. He's yeah. concerned about the faith. So, so why, of the yet again, are the disciples just so out of step with Jesus? They don't even pick mm. up on the mood. They don't yeah, pick up anything. That's right. They're like, "Hey, this might, this might." He's looking yeah. really angry. Maybe they're trying to cheer him yeah. up. <laughs> Let's try to cheer him. Yeah. Hey, check out the temple here, yeah. man! Like you know. Yeah, that's right. And he he comes in with a downer. Uh, not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now they think, oh. He's talking about the end of the age. Mm. This is the that's the day of judgment, surely. Um, uh, well, they, well, I, they, he've said that. You know, shall I say to you, there will be not one stone. And then he sits down on the Mount of Olives. Yeah. And then they came to him, just you know, the disciples privately, and they said, "Listen, when is this going to happen? You talked about that temple falling over." You know, tell us when will be the sign of your yeah. coming. So they've had a little while to think about it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a walk up to the top of the hill there through the Kidron Valley, and the, he's sitting up there overlooking the city. And so this is important too because it's a sort of bird's eye view yeah. uh, of the city with the temple, amazing view actually. And he's sitting there, and uh, the disciples come to him and broach it, and they say, "When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age?" Mm. Okay, so. Uh, they, there's, there is this sense that he, and and by coming, see, they still haven't quite got the fact that he's going away anywhere. So let's yep. not, the, the word coming there means per, is the word parousia, yes, and it means what is going to be, um, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your sort of triumphant, um, appearance? Yep. Let's put it that way. Uh, because a, it's like the revelation of a king when, when in the ancient world, when a king would come to power, there would be, they would be declared king, the yeah. trumpet would blow and, the, and they would, um, you know, come in in a great, with great so, pomp and so ceremony. So this great presentation. And, and that would be a parousia. It would okay. be a, a coming of the king, okay. you know, to take charge of everything. Okay. That's what they're thinking. Yeah, so, so they're thinking, oh, so, um, so he, so so this is going to be when Jesus is going to overthrow the powers that be. Hmm. See, see what see what I mean? That's what they're thinking. This is this is when Jesus is going to come and he's going to he's going going to bring this judgment, and which is actually that that is true. Jesus yes. is going to. But the problem is at this stage they have not quite come to terms with the fact that he's going away. Yes, he's going to talk a lot about that as we know from John fourteen to sixteen. Yep, he's going to talk a lot about him going away. Uh, at the Last Supper, but at this stage they're not quite getting that. Um, and uh, but 
he takes the um, he takes the opportunity here to make a distinction between what he's just talked about. Now, mm. what has he just talked about? The destruction of Jerusalem, yes, seventy A.D. When he talks about not one stone will be left and on another, he's referring back to what he said about your house being left to you desolate, and that is a prediction of the coming destruction of Jerusalem, seventy A.D. So. What he has to now do is got to separate the parousia yes. uh, from the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. The immediate okay. destruction. So he, he then enters into um, basically he's now going to say these are the signs that don't herald the end of the age. Yes. <laughs> these are connected with the coming Jewish wars. So yeah. he says, watch out that no one deceives you, right? Uh, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many, which was the, the case actually around the Jewish wars even just after climaxing actually in Bar Kokhba, um, uh, who was a, declared by the leading rabbi of the time. Um, As uh, Bar Kokhba was proclaimed to be the Messiah. you wow. know, uh, And that was sort of the last throes of the Jewish wars in, in 135. That was sort of kind of 50 years later. There was one last attempt. effort. Um, to rise up against the Romans. So that happened. Um, he says, you will hear of wars and rumours of wars because um, uh, there were lots of little skirmishes all over, the, all over the land. See to it that you're not alarmed. He said, such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains, right? Mm. So he's saying... There's gonna, there are going to be these wars. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. This is the beginning of... Of a of sort of the, of a process, uh, yeah. of a long process. Okay, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Um, and at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. I'm reading through Matthew yes. 24 here. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Okay, all this happened um, because of the increase of, wick of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, he's talking about everything that's going to happen from that time, even through this age, okay? Um, and verse 14, note this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Exactly. Yeah. So, so don't think when, when, when all the Jewish wars are happening, oh, this is the end. No, actually, that's just the, that's actually the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually that's the beginning of a of a prolonged period of birth pains, mm. in which also in the midst of that, the gospel is going to go out. So don't be alarmed by wars and rumors of wars. Don't focus on that. Um, this is with in the midst of all of that, the gospel is going to go out to all of the nations, mm. and then the end will come. So do we uh, do we take all of this as a prophecy that that Jesus foretold just for 70 AD or is it yet again as we read through a lot of the prophetic books and a lot of the prophets in the Bible there seems to be an immediate mm. you know an immediate fulfillment and then yet a greater fulfillment to come yeah the latter I, like I would say probably the latter, but I think it's important to understand the immediate fulfillment yes. because what happens is that we read this chapter and say, oh, he's talking about the end times. Yeah. No, he's just actually, he's being very careful here to say, no, these are going to be signs of these, of the lead up to the destruction of Jerusalem. Yes. Um, and he, he wants to distinguish that from the end times. 
but there, there are elements of this that are that bleed yeah, into each so, other. So the, the Jewish wars, uh, you know, it's like first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. You know, mm-hmm. so there's a sense in which um, the Jewish wars leading up to 70 AD are a kind of a um, a precursor or or, or, a, or a type, a foreshadowing yes. of a final great day of. Of judgment. Well, we're about to get into the yeah, big, the, so the biggest right. biggest one of these again right. coming from the book of Daniel, yep. echoing here by Christ Himself, and then echoed again in Revelation is this abomination That's of right. desolation. Now, again, how much of this is just then? How much of this is going to be repeated in the future? We don't yep. know. I think uh, because this, in a sense, this actually this did happen. Mm. Um, uh, It says here, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go to take anything left in the house. No one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. Um... So there is going to be this destruction of God's covenant people. Yeah. Interestingly, it says that will never be repeated again. I mean, um, so this is what leads this is what leads us to think perhaps that there's a double reference here. Yeah, because I mean, again, he says right at the beginning, you know, understand what's going to what's going to be happening. And flee out of Judea. Like he actually yeah. gives instructions for people living yeah. in Jerusalem yeah. at that time. This is what you've got to do. So th- that's right. So this is this is something for the time. And it's interesting if we can just think about what what so what was that? Because remember, this is something that's past as well as possibly future. Yes. Um, so what was it that was the abomination of desolation in, in the Jewish wars? Now, some people say, well, it was when uh, Titus and his army um, uh, and his Roman army, you know, marched into the, destroyed the temple, set up their standards. Yeah. And actually, ultimately, um, uh, Hadrian set up an enormous pagan temple right on the, on the yeah. Temple Mount. Yeah. So there was an abomination of desolation exactly. set up there. Exactly. Another suggestion is that the, the, before that happened, the temple was desecrated by the zealots. Because the zealots made, uh, and, and see, according to this is by Josephus's account. Okay, Josephus is a Jewish historian. Yes, who who recorded the Jewish wars. Yeah, he records that the zealots, because th- there were these factions. There was this infighting. Yes, in fact, Josephus mm-hmm. says during the war, the Jewish wars, <clears throat> more Jews killed other Jews than the Romans killed Jews. Yeah. Uh, because of this factional infighting, even while the Roman army was encamped and the city was under siege, they were still, they were still killing each other. Wow! And um, and and when the Romans broke in, there were just corpses everywhere because of this infighting. Now, one of these factions, um, uh, a faction of the Zealots, made the temple into their fortress, and wow, yeah, and and used the sacred articles, and so Josephus. Um, Says so. It's Josephus's view, as a Jewish writer, that 
the destruction of the city and the temple was actually punishment for the desecration of the temple wow. by the zealots. Wow. And when did that happen? So that's in between. That's leading up to 70 AD, so particularly towards the end, 69, 70 okay. uh, AD. Okay, right, right at that same yeah. time. So, I mean, that's just interesting to think about there. Um, and <clears throat> he goes on, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days would be shortened. Um, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive if possible, even the elect. Wow. Now, it's interesting in Revelation when it talks about the beast, yes. it says that he will perform, perform signs, great signs yeah. and wonders. Um, so, uh, and, and remember, Jesus says that many will come in in my name, saying, "Lord, Lord, did we not drive out demons and perform?" So, and I will, and he will say, "I tell you, I never knew you." Yeah. So, um, uh, this is, a, I think, a, an important because we all love a bit of sensationalism, and 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 I think people are. A little, sometimes we're a little too credulous in, in in the wrong sense of just following anyone who does signs and wonders. Well, he must be of God if yes. he does signs and wonders. Yes, yes. Uh, well, actually, it's not. It's not. Uh, it's actually also something that the false prophets do. Exactly, and this, a false prophet is a false prophet because they're prophesying falsely. So it's actually the key is to listen to what they say and to look at the fruits. Mm. And that's it's by their fruits that you will know them. Yep. Uh, th- these works of power are yeah. equally on on both uh, to be used. On that's the side it. I of mean, he's he's, well. he's he's basically said this for a second time. Like at the beginning there in twenty three, he says, you know, you know, make sure that no one leads you astray. Yeah. You know, the, you, you've got to be diligent here. You've got to be discerning. Yeah. And he says pretty much the same thing here. Like, unbelievably, even the elect yeah. can be deceived yeah. by, by some of these, you know, false false prophets well, and stuff like that. He, he actually says uh, to deceive if possible. Yeah, even the, even elect. the elect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's put our Calvinist yeah, hats on <laughs> just, and go I'm into that. to be a little pedantic about that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, but so, I... Yeah, but again, it's that call of discernment. I think that Christ yep. is, is is called. There's a little bit of an underlying of saying, in all of this, he's saying, "Look, I want you to be discerning, be aware of the signs, be aware of what's coming. These are the things." Yeah, it's really it's it's really a call to being diligent with what he's teaching. That's right, and he says in verse twenty five, "See, I have told you ahead of time." Yeah. It's like, remember this, yeah, remember, yeah. remember, because all of this is going to happen. Mm. Don't be deceived. Mm. You know, the thing about deception is that it's deceptive, yeah. right? I mean, it's, oh, but it looks so good. It's just, yes, yes, yeah. that's right. It's deceptive. Uh, you know, this, the devil comes as an angel of light. So he goes on to say, if anyone tells you there he is in the wilderness, don't go out, of, or if here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Um See, they're the guy that everyone's going to say, oh, he's just such a, you know, he's such a cynic or he's such a, you know, yeah. it's like, uh, uh, but actually there, there is a kind of, of course, that there's a bad kind of cynicism and uh, unwillingness to believe. But there's also uh, a good kind of incredulity. There's a, there's a, there's a discernment around this. I'm yeah. not just going to be quick to follow anyone and everyone. Yeah. You know, I'm going to practice discernment here. Now, verse 27, let's get, back, get us back on track. Right. Um, he says, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So he's saying, look, when the Son of Man comes, there's going to be no mistake about it. That's okay? exactly he's right. not going to be like a David Koresh. Yep. Uh, it, it's, it's going to be really, really obvious yes. that he is the guy. Um, and um, 
so uh, he says, wherever a, there is a carcass, the vultures will gather. It's an interesting, uh, interesting picture. Um, immediately, now this is interesting. So the question is, um, going back to your question about what does this refer to? Is this now or yes. then? And a lot of people say, well, well, this is this this can only be talking about then. Yeah. But you've got a problem there because Jesus says um, in verse 34, he says, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And that includes, that's that generation yeah. that he's talking to. Okay? Yeah. They're not going to pass away. Now, a generation is about 40 years. In, in, so he's saying, Jesus is saying, all, everything that I'm talking about here, including the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light, uh, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, including all of that is going to happen in the next 40 years. Now, uh, Jesus is saying this in about... Uh, so he's predicting the destruction of Jerusalem yeah. in 40 years. Now, yeah. he's saying this in about 30 AD. Yes, it happens exactly 40 years later. Yeah, yeah. So his prediction is right on. Now, the complication is, but as part of that, all of these things, he's including the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The f stars will fall from the sky, yeah, right? Yeah. Now, one of the problems here is the way that we interpret this kind of thing. Yes. And um, the best way to interpret a scripture is, uh, to interpret scripture with scripture. Amen. And this sort of uh, language is used also in Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 13. My computer's just frozen, so I'm just bringing up the That's reference. Right. That's all right. Got it. Um, Isaiah chapter 13, um, which talks about these similar, uh, similar sorts of things, um, because this is a standard way of uh, denoting international... Tur turmoil you know yep. it's like the stars of the sky are, are kind of symbols for the nations the powers of the world yes all of this is going to come crumbling down so um uh so isaiah in thirteen ten and 34 4 um and this is actually quoted in mark's version of this yes um speak of the sun being dark and the stars falling from the heaven and so forth and in their own context these passages refer not to the collapse of the space-time world which actually the Bible doesn't refer to yeah. ever. Um, there's not going to be an end of the world. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Exactly. Um, in Isaiah, it refers to um, the fall of great empires within the space-time world. Okay. Yeah. So, so this language is biblical language. It's been used before, mm. and it doesn't mean the end of the space-time universe. Mm. Okay. So that's so in terms of international cataclysm, this is standard prophetic language for um, predicting. Cataclysmic events. Yes. Okay. So, so we, we we can work with that. Now, again, this happened in seventy AD in that sense, and of course, it's also going to happen, also in its symbolic sense, at the end of the age as well. Exactly. So that's. Um, uh, then it says in verse thirty, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Um, now it's interesting. Again, let's go back to Josephus. Josephus records some remarkable signs. Uh, in the sky over Jerusalem, hmm. uh, in uh, you know the sign of a sword. Over, it's really remarkable the, the kinds of kind of supernatural signs that he he, re he records as a Jewish writer. Wow! Um, so from Josephus's account, there were actually signs that appeared in the heavens, as it were, uh, at this time. 
and and it says in all the peoples of the earth now uh, 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 you know all the land however you want to interpret that will mourn when they see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven now um uh, and that's word, ov- and that's obviously talking about more of the final no coming. Well, it's a different word actually okay the word that is used when it says when they see the son of man coming on the clouds with great power and great glory now this also is standard language for god turning up and fighting against his enemies okay and the word coming here is erkomai is the greek word erkomai it's not the word parousia okay now this is the confusion in the english language oh he's talking about the parousia no he's not actually now again there could be a there's could be a prophetic double up here but we in order to understand an ultimate reference, we need to understand an immediate reference. Okay, and it could this this can be interpreted certainly also as because remember Jesus predicted judgment upon Jerusalem uh, for their rejection of him as their Messiah, and so this is in a sense the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, fighting against his enemies. Initially, his enemies are actually. The, his own people who have yes. set themselves against him. Uh, and then it says, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth to the other. Uh, the word, of course, the word angelos in Greek mm. means messengers. So he will send his messengers with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now, this is going to happen at the end of the age, but it actually also happened, it's still happening now. Mm. Because he's just said before that the gospel is going to go out to all of the ends of the earth through his messengers to gather in uh, God's people. So, so there um, there can absolutely be this double reference. And then he goes on to say, "Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender, tender its leaves come out. You know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door." Um, uh, now uh, he's talking there about the destruction of. Jerusalem, when you see these things, and yet at the same time, there could be this double reference here. But I I, want to emphasize the initial fulfillment of this because Jesus does say that all these things are going to happen in the next, in in, in that 40 year period. And I think we have to take the immediate fulfillment seriously before we even think about an ultimate fulfillment. And and it's important, I, I think, that. You don't let anybody trick you into or any interpretation and trick you that there's only one way to interpret it. Like it's not an either, it's not a, it's not a, it either happened then or it's happening in the future. It couldn't happen. You know, it can't be both. Does that make sense? Like there's a lot of people out there who say, all right, what is this? Is this Jesus talking about the destruction of Jerusalem or is it talking about him coming at the end of the world? Those two views are noticed the preterist view and the futurist view. Yeah. And I think both of them can be maintained at the same time. Yeah, when you read right. when you yeah. read through these two chapters, yeah, that's right. But you have to you have to we have to anchor ourselves to the immediate fulfillment. Of course, uh, th- I suppose that's I'm 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 sort of emphasizing that. And there are some pretty serious commentators so for ex- that 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 want to emphasize that. Um, so, for example, um, R. T. France, who writes the New International Commentary of the New Testament, also the Tyndale Commentary. Yes, two very standard commentaries. Another uh, he. Um, Goes, he wants to argue. This is he's, all of this is talking about, actually, just the destruction of Jerusalem. So, will someone like that not want to put it in the yeah, future? He, he's, he's 
I mean, he's not even going there with the future view because he says this is easily all fulfilled. Wow. You know, because his point is, well, Jesus says it's going to happen within this generation, and it can easily be shown that all of those things ha- are happening within that okay. generation. So, mm. yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm going to let. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, no, that's fair enough. <laughs> well, look, but but as I said, I mean, I, um, and then you've got the other commentaries that want to push it further yeah, to the push future. It further yes. to future, and I think I think that. Uh, I think that's important because I, I guess I, I do see the way that prophecy works in terms of some events foreshadowing other events. Yes. So that double fulfillment thing, I, I think that works for yeah. biblical prophecy generally. And, and, and it's not surprising then that Jesus would do the same thing no. here. Now, it's the, the thing, so he says in verse 34, truly I tell you this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. He means this generation. It's not this race or this... It's, yeah. you know, this 40 years. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So mm. mark my words. This is going to happen. Um, and then there's the but. But about that day or hour, yeah. no one knows. And this is this is where this, you know, because he draws, it's such a strong line that he draws here. Okay. Because mm. there's there really is a sense that he's talking about immediate events. And then he says, but about that day or hour, that is the parousia, mm. Uh, no one knows, uh, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. You know, so because because he's just said this is going to happen within a generation. All of these things that he's just described. Mm, mm. The, the but refers to, I'm not putting a time. Uh, f- I'm not putting a, a timeline on this. Yeah. Um, so little warning: don't <laughs> make timelines of the future. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but about the day, no one knows. Not even the, so. And he goes on to say, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of man at a time you don't expect, and so forth. Now, there's a little little moment there in verse 36 where Jesus talks about, you know, that final, you know, what we would say, this final coming of 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 Christ. And he says, I don't. He basically says, look, I don't even know when that yeah. when that hour is going. Now, some people get yeah. really caught up in that about, hang on, isn't Jesus God? Yeah. He's shown that he knows and he's foretelling other thing other events he can you know he's proven himself to be yeah. God over and over again why is this why is he choosing not to know this part you know is this just a a thing for him being man on on earth mm. is this you know what what yeah. is this about mm. good question <laughs> <laughs> well i mean he's it, clearly he's clearly choosing a limited perspective here. Yeah, because we read in, is it in Philippians? Speaking out of his humanity. Yeah, we read in Philippians that he put on, you know, and he put yeah. off, you know, certain attributes of his godness. Yeah. He put off while he was a human, right. a human yeah. on earth. And I would, my reading of this is like, yeah, at that time, he did not know yeah. what that hour, hour yeah, was when right. he was standing there. And this is the emphasis then of this next section because the emphasis is on being ready. Like you've got to be ready for yes. this. Yeah. Um, and it's all about what to do in the meantime. Okay. So there's going to be this time where the message is going to go out. There's going to be this time of he said there's going to be persecution. Uh, and um, it's really important that you don't give in. Mm. You've got to be found faithful when he returns. So, you know, verse 45, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge, the servants in his household and finds them you know, doing the right thing at the right time, in other words. And this is when you get these parables, right? These parables of that are telling us 
um, two parables, the parable of the virgins and the parable of the talents, and then an amazing judgment scene. And I do want to yeah. say some things about this judgment scene. This is all in chapter 25 this is in cha- now. We're moving into chapter 25. So the parable of the ten virgins is about readiness. Mm-hmm. I think it's important not to take this too far, to ask questions like, because parables all have a very limited use. They're to make one point. So it's you don't go to a parable and say, what does this stand for and that stand for and, you know, um, I mean, it's interesting, actually, the bridegroom that Jesus is clearly casting himself here as the bridegroom, which in throughout prophetic literature in the Old Testament, it's God is always the bride, bridegroom. Yeah. This is this is actually uh, a, a, one of these moments where where Jesus and and in his divinity, yes, is sort of taking. Oh, that, he's that really position. he's owning That's it. Right. He's owning it. So um, it, this is all about you know the the. the and it's set around the way that they did weddings in those days, that the the, the um, bridesmaids would go and meet the bridegroom who yep. would come. It'd be the bridegroom who would, unlike our weddings. Yes. And, you know, they, they, they ran out of oil. They weren't ready. They fell asleep, you know. Mm. And and he, so Jesus is talking to his people. This is for his people, saying, make sure you're ready yeah. for, for, for when I come. Uh, and... You know, what does the oil stand for? All of those questions are irrelevant to that yes. main point that he's making. And then he digs into this more deeply. Yep. And there's the parable of the bags of gold or the parable of the talents that, yep. you know, because they say bags, it's translated bag of gold because that's about what a talent was, uh, w- was worth. Um, and uh, it's a lot of money, by the way. A, a talent is is worth an enormous amount of money. Um, and this is a parable that is designed to um, emphasize the um, this idea of readiness. This is what it means. It means being faithful with what you have. Yeah. Be faithful with what you have. He's still talking to about his people. Um, you don't have to do everything, but you have to be faithful with what I've given you. And when the Son of Man returns, he's going to call you to account for what you did with what he gave you. Yeah. So this is, again, part of this imperative. Be ready. Don't go to sleep. Don't just bunker down and wait for Jesus to come back and know there's a job to be done. He's already said that about you know the gospel going out to the nations and so forth. There's a job to be done, yeah. you know, and we all have a part in that. And this is him fleshing that out That's in the right. parable. Then you have this scene of the sheep and the goats. Now, this is not a parable. This yeah. is a judgment scene. Yeah, because he makes it very, very clear. The very first line is when the scent, like he's basically finally answering one of those questions about when is all these things going to yeah. happen. He gives the very final moment and says, okay, when the Son of Man comes yeah. in glory. And he depicts, uh, he says, um, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And this is now, it's interesting that the the basis for this judgment is interesting Uh because he says, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, so forth. Okay, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me and I needed clothes and you clothed me. Clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now, an assumption is made here. It's an assumption that's inconsistent with actually the rest of the gospel that, that um, he's talking about the basis of the judgment being looking after the poor yeah. and the sick and the needy. Now, as, that's as, important. Let me say, I'm not yeah. denying the importance of that. Yes, 
that's actually not what he's talking about. Yeah. It's, it, so, so what he's not saying is this is how people are saved. This is salvation. This is a picture of salvation. I separate you on your works or you're, or you're not doing good works. No, I, he actually, he is, he is saying this is the, base, this is the basis for salvation. Uh, let, let's just go with me oh, here for okay. a bit, okay? All right, oh, yeah, <laughs> I can hang see on. you getting une- uneasy. So, what is the basis for? Because they're judged on this basis, right? Mm, mm. So, what is the basis for salvation? Um, now, this is where the problem comes. If he's not actually talking about um, just if you look after the needy and do lots of good works, then you'll be saved. That's actually not what he's saying. Mm. Because this is clear from what follows. It becomes clear what he's talking about from what follows. It goes on to say, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty and give you something to drink? And so forth, right? And it says, verse 40, The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did, for the one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now, the least of these, he's spoken a lot throughout the... The um, this same language has been used before about these little ones, the least of these. Mm-hmm. He's talking about his people. He's talking about the people that he's sending out as messengers. This is the language that Jesus uses about his people, his messengers. So, and remember in uh, chapter ten, it, about, it talks about how he sends them out, and he says, "If a house welcomes you, then." You go and you preach the gospel and heal their sick, but if they don't, welcome. You know, it's like, yeah. is actually that's that's the reference here. Okay. So basically, he is making the salvation of people contingent on how we respond to the message to the messengers that he sends to us, who represent Jesus. Yes. Remember, because so it, because he's saying, for what you did to them, you did to me. So in other words. Um, uh, this is uh, your how how things go for you at judgment depends on your response to Jesus, who okay. comes to us through his messengers. These these you know it's because in in the in the uh, initial context, mm. including the context of the gospel of of Matthew, mm. um. The gospel goes out and it goes into households. It, it, it becomes part of how... It's not picturing people standing on street corners. No, no. This, this, is, uh, this goes out and, and, and uh, there's this sense of people needing to embrace the message and the messenger mm. together mm, mm. Um, from uh, Matthew, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 10, you know, when he sends them out. That's clear from that context. So, and this is, this is what... the what the commentaries have emphasized. Um, and I think this is an important corrective to this I, to this discussion around, oh, my goodness, it sounds like Jesus is saying that uh, judgment is contingent on us looking after the needy. Yep. No, he's saying judgment is contingent, uh, uh, that is our salvation is contingent on how we respond when the messengers come to us with the gospel. Okay, okay. Is there is there credence... To this, I've heard two other sides of this. Mm-hmm. One saying that the least of these, and talking about his brothers and his family, are talking about uh, the way that the nations respond to Jewish people. Mm-hmm. He's, this is all about a reference to how the nations respond to looking after, you know, Jewish, yeah, you know, persona. Or 
there's the other side of it of, and this is the one that I think you're going to like the least, is uh, the element that this is the final judgment in a future, I'm going to use that word that's going to trigger yeah. you, dispensation, where in at the final end of the tribulation, this is how Jesus judges the people of the tribulation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I... And we, the, we the latter one I think is really problematic uh, for, okay. for a number of reasons, because there's there's just so much about this that is that that sits within everything else that we've read in the Gospels. Yeah. Okay. Now, the, just go back to your first suggestion about this is about how you treat uh, the people of, of Jerusalem of, uh, of Israel. Yeah. Now, um, that the. Um, Limiting to limiting to that is very very problematic, yeah. because uh, the the Gentile believers are grafted into the Abrahamic covenant, okay, which says those who bless you I will bless, and those who curse you I will curse. Yeah. Now, basically, this is this bit here about you know what you did to them, you did to me, grows out of that promise in Genesis twelve verse three, the Abrahamic covenant that says those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you, I will curse, yep. and all of the ends of the earth will be blessed through you. Right? Yep. So your, you know, how you respond to um, these vessels of blessing is that that's what that's what seals your, your fate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I I just you can't because um, we're talking about here about the end of the age, right? Yep. And and he's he's when Jesus speaks about the little children and his you know those who are his and his his brothers he's talking about his church his people he's talking about yep. all of his people okay. i think what and and that includes and see this is not excluding jewish believers yes. but it's it's take we need to take seriously the fact as i said that gentile believers are grafted into the abrahamic covenant so what applies what applied to the jewish people applies for us yes otherwise i think we're doing something really unbiblical yep okay so yes it is for uh, so, well it's certainly not for a you know like uh, like a political nation and what your policies no. are no, no. about the state of modern israel yeah. that to me is way out there yeah. all right uh, he's talking uh, about those who are uh, are his people who, yes. through Christ, Jew and Gentile, who through Christ have become his brothers and sisters. So, for example, Jesus, remember the time when his mother and brothers came to Jesus? Yeah. And Jesus says, Who, who, are, my, who, who are my mother's mother yeah. and brothers? Yeah. Those who, you know, it's like his followers, his disciples, he, right? Yeah. Jew or Gentile, those are his. And, and of course, Paul makes the same. Uh, statement definitely. God, you know, you say, "Oh, but we're children of Abraham." He says in Romans, "Well, God can raise up children of Abraham from these stones." So the idea, so I, I, I give you that, and again, I'm just, I'm just uh, putting out there some common views that I've heard yeah, yeah. from from different evangelical, you know, preachers and stuff like that from different different things. I think a far more common one um, would be the idea that this is about the end of the tribulation. This is. You know, a very uh, you know, mm. the, you know, the end of the mm. seven years with the church has been raptured before that, and you know, da da da. You know, again, it's getting into what I call, you know, timeline Christianity with a chart on a wall and and you know, lots of neat, yeah. neat packages yeah. and stuff. Well, who knows? Look, okay, whatever. I mean, who knows? And I don't mean to be dismissive. No, dismissive. No. I'm just trying to focus on the main. 
the main points here. Because yes, maybe all of that. But yes. the fact is, even though the ideas of the rapture and that that all belongs to one view, a lot of people don't realise that that belongs yeah. to one of three views. Yes, and even in within those, even within that one of three views, there's some different views of the rapture and tribulation. Definitely. Even within Definitely. that, so. Um, so whatever your beliefs about that stuff, the fact is they all hold to a, a, a day of judgment. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of them split it in two, which I think is a bit problematic. But um, uh, but there is still this truth, I think, that that we all – there's going to be a great day of judgment yeah. and this is what Jesus is talking about here. And, and I think, again, the key here is how he's saying – how the world responds to my people when I send them out. Will they embrace them or, or will they not? That's, that's going to be the key. And, um, and I think that brings us back to the centrality of Jesus as the touchstone for salvation. It's not about what we do. It's about how we respond to what Jesus has done for us and the message that goes, how we respond to that message because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of God. And so that sits perfectly with that truth. In the can, episode 59. And man, what a great way to finish off, reminding us the very meat of the gospel, the very bones of the gospel, what it's all about, the fact that Jesus has paid the price for us. There is nothing more that we could do ourselves. It's all about what he has done for us. So great reminder there. Now, uh, just to remind you, head over to the website thrivetoday.net.au. That's where you'll find more information about this podcast, how to support us, how to communicate with us, how to ask us a question. And more importantly, I want you to check out deeper places the new video series and the new revised book it is really going to assist you in your walk it's great stuff all right until next week this has been dj and on behalf of matt and Stuart and the crew behind us thank you so much for downloading this episode please tell your friends and we'll see you back here next week bye Thanks for listening to another episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ would love to hear your questions and comments about what you are reading in God's Word and in Thrive. The easiest way to do that is to head over to thrivetoday.net.au. Thrive Deeper is on Facebook. Just search and like Thrive Today page for all our latest news. Until next week, our prayer is that this podcast will inspire you to read God's Word and thrive.